evening and welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each Sunday we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. And, of course, it wouldn't be the John and Leah Show. I wouldn't have anyone listening right now, probably, either. (laughs) (laughs) If we didn't have Leah Brandon. (laughs) Leah, how are you this evening? I'm your audience for tonight. (laughs) Well, at least for the first portion, because we're for the second straight year broadcasting as the Super Bowl is coming to an end. This time, however, not nearly as dramatic as last year, although it it could have been. It should have been if Cam if Cam Newton hadn't uh, decided that Superman wasn't worthy of going in to try to recover a fumble. uh, The Panthers might have had a shot at uh, tying or going ahead of this game. They were down by six at that time. The Broncos have just scored a touchdown touchdown to basically seal the game now and it's uh, i assuming they may make the extra point did they make the extra point so it's 20- well you know the touchdown has been under review and right. seriously one second ago it was confirmed i thought they were going for two points well uh, that would the touchdown would make it 22 to 10 uh, and therefore you would want to go for two just to make it 14 Um, It's been a very strange game. Very strange. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, I I think I'm kind of happy to be wrong, although I'm conflicted about that. I thought the Panthers were heavy favorites in this game. I couldn't believe the point spread was only three and a half to start. Uh, I thought that the Panthers were the better team, mainly because Excuse I thought... Excuse me, they just got the two points. <laughs> okay, so there you go. 24... I, I don't have a television in front of me. So the game is over, um, <laughs> barring <laughs> massive miracle. Uh, so it's 24 to 10. And, you know, my thought on this game was there's no way that a 39-year-old Peyton Manning, who can't throw the ball literally over 30 yards, I mean, that's about as far as he can throw it, how in the world was he going to outscore Cam Newton, who also has a pretty good defense with Carolina? But um, I was right about how Denver wouldn't be able to move the ball because until the gift touched down at the end, they hadn't scored a touchdown on offense for the entire Super Bowl. They had one touchdown on defense and a couple of field goals, which is what I th- as exactly how I thought the game was going to go. I thought it was going to be a very low-scoring game and that Carolina would end up winning, mainly because you can't keep Cam Newton to 10 points. Well, um, apparently you can. Uh, Superman, the guy who shows up for pregame warm-ups in a a gold Superman T-shirt and MVP shoes. There's no arrogance there. No. Well, I know you you broadcast from Birmingham, Alabama, and you're a rolled tie girl. You love your Crimson Tide. So I know you're loving the fact that Cam Newton is not just going to lose, but he's going to be the big goat. I mean, huge goat. Uh, He was going to be the big superstar in the entire league. He's the league MVP this year. Which is ridiculous. And and Well, I don't think it was ridiculous. He had a hell of a year. They went 15-1. and He was by far the best player, by far the most entertaining and spectacular player. But tonight, Carolina turns the ball over six times but, but I'll be very curious to see whether the media lets him off the hook on of the course they will on the last turnover because and Phil Sims who I I despise I think Phil Sims is an idiot the broadcaster on CBS who does the game with uh, with Jim Nance Phil Sims was fairly tough on him by Phil Sims standards basically what happened was that you know down by six still very much in the game Cam Newton fumbles. There's a scramble for the fumble. Newton's right there. Not only does he not dive into the pile, he backs away. 
He don't want to get hurt. He backs. It's the freaking Super Bowl. It's Cam Newton. You're down by six. You still have a shot. He's Cam Newton. That I, I, to me, I mean, I have, I've never seen anything like that in a regular season game. Frankly, Leah, in a preseason game, a guy of that caliber probably wouldn't take any heat for doing that, except on the sidelines, they would come back. (laughs) That was pretty funny, Cam. You know, way to wimp out there. This is the biggest sporting event in the world in this year a single sporting event you could argue about the olympics but no question about it this is as big as it gets the united states of america and he, he just ba- got sacked by the way he backs away he backs now he doesn't dive in he literally backed away from the fumble um and that wow i mean that is well, really extraordinary and and probably uh, again, it depends on how the news media reacts to this. So they might just pretend it didn't happen because oh, sure. after all, he's black and he's a superstar and he can help them a lot in the next 10 and, years. And, you know, they only criticize him because he's black. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> just flat out okay. ridiculous. Yeah, but by the way, one Auburn guy to another, Charles Barkley says it best about what uh, Cam Newton did with that fumble. It's just flat out ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that that was flat out ridiculous. Um, and, you know, and Cam Newton likes to claim that uh, he gets criticism because of his race. That's right. Um, I don't really. I have bu- a love-hate relationship with Cam Newton because I respect him because he's very talented. Yeah. But he really has some character issues. And, uh, you know, what you're talking about, it shows up on the field. So there you go. I was on the fence about the character issues up until not going after the fumbled six points down in the final minutes of the Super Bowl. I mean, that is if that doesn't expose a lack of character and courage and teamwork and all that kind of stuff, uh, esprit de corps, I don't know what does. Um, but again, I'll be very curious. The media could obsess about this or they might pretend it didn't happen. In fact, you know, up until that fumble, the two biggest plays of the game, in my opinion, had gotten almost zero. I mean, literally zero analysis. I mean, this is a game where there are weeks and weeks of 24-7 analysis on television and radio and newspapers, Internet, what have you. And the two biggest ga- plays in this game were basically ignored. The first one occurred in the in the first quarter when Carolina appeared to have a long completion that was ruled incomplete. It seemed on replay to be an obvious completion. Right. The, the rules expert, who's always wrong, anyway, Mike Carey from the NF, from the CBS, is always wrong. But he said it was a catch. It would be overturned. Well, they didn't overturn it. The next play, Denver scores on a defensive touchdown. They never mention the ruling again. And then uh, in the second half, Denver picks off Cam Newton. The guy who intercepts it's running the ball back. He fumbles. It's down... And like the four-yard line, if, if the Panthers recover, they, they're going to probably win the game because they're going to go in and score. There are four Panthers around the ball. The one guy from Denver recovers. That is the biggest play <laughs> of the game. And I don't even know his name because CBS didn't even bother to review it. They didn't even do a replay. I mean, it, it's unbelievable to me. It, it's just so funny. And I always joke every year at the Super Bowl that we can tell so much about society by the fact that the pregame show for the Super Bowl is like eight hours long. Right. And the postgame show is like 12 minutes, which shows you as a society we care far more about what's going to happen than what has actually occurred. Uh, this, this program is a little bit about what's going to happen. It's mostly about what did happen. And this week we have a ton of stuff that occurred. 
Um, when we come back, we're going to get to all of it. This is, this is going to be your post-Super Bowl, uh, your post-Iowa caucus, your post-GOP debate, and your pre-New Hampshire primary edition of the John and Leah show. And we'll get <laughs> to all of lot. it. Yeah, we got a ton to get to. Stick with us. Hopefully we'll have two or three listeners that will do it with us. Uh, you can check out our website where you can uh, see each and every one of the 22 different radio stations across this formerly great nation of ours which broadcast this program. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. My name is John Ziegler. She's Leah Brandon. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. She does the program from Birmingham, Alabama. I do the show from just outside of Los Angeles. By the way, uh, she has a television. I do not. Uh, So as the Super Bowl comes to an end, she'll be able to give us an update on when it is official that the Denver Broncos have upset the Carolina Panthers. Currently, it's scored 24 to 10 in the last. They're already celebrating. About last minute or so of the game, Leah, is that right? 54 seconds. Now, now here's the thing. Um, The NFL is a quarterback's league now. You don't have a good quarterback. Forget it. You don't even bother to try. And what happened? What, what happened? Well, the Panthers have the ball, uh, and I thought he—I thought uh, somebody fumbled, but they didn't. He got knocked down. The ball went up in the air, and another Panther caught it, but pff, nothing happened. He so got all, tackled. So wait a minute. All that reaction for nothing? Boy, I'm glad. Yeah, well, that was a really <laughs> bad boy, hit. Boy, it must be terrible watching an Alabama football game with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. It looked like another fumble. All right. Uh, why don't you just why don't you wait for giving any updates until it's like for well, real? they just dumped the gator aid over the coach. All right, well, so, all right. Yeah. Anyway, here's the deal. So the NFL is a, a quarterback's league. And um, yet here we have two very famous quarterbacks, one in the prime of his career, Cam Newton, and one at the very, very end of his career, almost certainly the last game he's ever going to play, Peyton Manning. And both quarterbacks played pretty horribly. I mean, yeah. Cam Newton had a horrific game. And and during the commercial break, I think I've realized, you know, how the media is going to rationalize not giving Cam Newton crap for backing away from that fumble that could have kept them in the game. It would, how are they going to do that? It would be racist to criticize. It would be racist. Because, because it would go into racial stereotypes of laziness. So, <laughs> so... So you can't criticize Cam Newton for not going after the fumble because he's the would, Barack Obama of the right, NFL. Right, he would be. It would be racist to do that. Um, it's just flat out ridiculous. And so, um, but let's talk about Peyton Manning for a second because he's the real. You know, they the Broncos have now won. This. Oh yeah, he's being interviewed right now. I mean, this he's is very happy. Okay, but here's the thing. Uh, to me, this is a very unsatisfying end to what should be a Cinderella story. I mean, I'm an old guy, 48. Old and white, if you haven't picked that up uh, yet. Uh, so I should be loving the Peyton Manning story. I mean, it's amazing. The guy can't throw the ball more than 30 yards uh, against a huge favorite Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton wearing a Superman T-shirt and warm-ups. Somehow the Broncos beat their ass. He didn't have anything to do with it. It was the defense and some luck. But bottom line is history is going to record that Peyton Manning went out as a Super Bowl champion. Um, which is amazing. 
Now, with that said, part of what this show makes this show unique is we say things no one else will say, and we will analyze things in a way that the news media doesn't have the guts to do. And while this is not a big deal, because we don't know the, the final answer to the question yet, I'm amazed at how pathetic, and even I have very, very limited expectations for the pathetic news media in this country, but considering this is the Super Bowl week, the biggest sports week of the year, the HDH Peyton Manning story was completely blown by the news media. Have you even been following this, Leah? I really haven't. Okay. I thought it was over well, a couple weeks ago. Well, the news media would like you to believe that because that's what they wanted. Because they didn't want something messing up their Cinderella story. And they like Peyton, and he's good for business. And sure. so, so you know, well, they had their excuse. And I even bought into it a, a, to a certain degree that it was over because – Manning had the the good fortune of having the news organization, Al Jazeera, which nobody trusts anyway, because aren't they like pro-Al-Qaeda? Um, of course, and didn't they shut down and then they, they shut, did the story? Like the next week, they <laughs> shut down. So, so everyone thought it was over with. But there was one thing about the original story uh, that appeared in the Al Jazeera documentary that made me go, hmm, that doesn't make any sense. And, the wife? Well, it, it, it's related to the wife. The, the bottom line of the story is that the main source who had been recorded surreptitiously had said on video, not knowing he was recorded, that they had sent HDH to Peyton Manning's wife. All right. Now, when, the, now when the story came out, he completely recanted in less than 24 hours. In fact, I mean, like the minutes after the story breaks. He puts out this videotape, which is like a hostage video, saying, I lied about everything. I knew nothing. I was simply just trying to impress the person I was speaking to on video. Okay, except how do you know that his wife got anything, whether it was right. HDH or not? That's a detail you can't make up. If it's, if it's true, that's a problem. Well, this week, Peyton Manning's people acknowledged that that was true. That the, that the source had, in fact, sent something, we don't know because of privacy, to, a, to Peyton Manning's wife. Now, that means the guy wasn't totally lying. He wasn't totally making it up. That means there's something fishy about the recantation. And then we learned this week that before Al Jazeera aired this and before it became a news story, Peyton Manning hired two P.I.'s to misrepresent themselves and go to the home of the source. And within 24 hours, he recanted in a very strange way. Now, it doesn't mean Peyton Manning is guilty, and his denials have been superb. I mean, they have been off the charts. But I'm telling you, there are some questions here that need to be resolved. <laughs> and, and the news media, other than the Washington Post, is going, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. Let's move on. This is a great story. Um, I mean, does it, it, how much does it enhance your performance? Well, it, it's because of his injury. It's about, it's about recovery. Oh, That's about what it's healing. about. Yes. Okay. All right. We'll continue with uh, all this crazy week's news when we come back. On the uh, John and Leah show, we got to get to the Iowa caucuses, the GOP debate, all of it on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show, the post-Super Bowl, post-Iowa caucus, post-GOP debate, and pre-New Hampshire primary edition. My host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And before we move on to the political news of the week, and there was tons of it, Leah, I do want to have a couple final thoughts on the Super Bowl, won by the Broncos in a fairly major upset, 24-10. to 10. And about Peyton Manning, because I don't want to leave the wrong impression. Uh, I'm, I'm conflicted about Peyton Manning, somewhat like I'm conflicted about uh, Donald Trump, even though they're very different characters. I think that he's getting a free ride on this HDH thing. I mean, his story, while his denials are fantastic, his story doesn't make any sense. The whole thing doesn't add up, and you know how I get when things don't add up. When when uh, the when the math doesn't get up, you're like a dog with a bone. I, I get agita. I mean, I, I I literally start shaking. Wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. I need a story that makes sense all the way through, and there is no story that makes sense all the way through. It, by the way, in either direction on the Peyton Manning HDH story. But I also want to make sure we point out what an amazing human story. Forget the HDH for a second. Let's pretend he did it clean. All right. Um, what an amazing story. I mean, this is a guy who a few years ago, his his team where he was a legend, the Indianapolis Colts, essentially kicked dr- him out, <laughs> essentially dropped him. Because because they didn't think he could play anymore because of his neck injuries. Now that of right. course now that of course opens up the whole HDH thing, right? Uh, but again, which want, you know what, I don't have a problem with that. All right, but it happens to be against the rules, so there's that. I mean, I, I guess those those you things, can't heal quicker. Right. Well, it's <laughs> the, it's against the rules. I mean, you take it up with the commissioner. Um, okay. Now when they don't enforce, I mean, look, they're not going to enforce this because here's what's going to happen. I mean, let me let me go back to Peyton's story. So so he gets kicked off the Colts for all intents and purposes, where he's a legend. Gets picked up by the Denver Broncos, and what a lot of people thought was a mistake. Uh, yep. Goes to the Super well, Bowl. Kicked gets, off Tim Tebow. Yeah, get right, and and gets to the Super Bowl and gets humiliated. People, I don't know if you remember that a couple years I ago. Don't. He got humiliated in the Super Bowl. Humiliated by by the Seahawks, and they. Get, oh yes, I do remember and that. And then they get back this year. <laughs> And a month ago, he was a second-string quarterback. His backup, That's true. His backup had beaten the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football. He, he well, was. I was it, seeing on Twitter tonight they were thinking about put, people were going put his put it whoever his backup is put right, him in. Right, uh, <laughs> Osweiler. So no. Yes. And and so, and, and by the way, it might not have been that bad of an idea because he wasn't playing well. But but a month ago. He was. It was over. He might never play again. He's injured. He's a backup. The team seems to be rallying around the backup. And now he goes out as a Super Bowl champion. And, oh, by the way, because he's retired, the NFL isn't going to do a very rigorous investigation of the HDH. They, Are we sure he's retired? Oh, they're going. He has. He's, he's a smart guy. He's retiring. you you got to go out. You win a, you win a <laughs> Super Bowl. Uh, against the team that is favored against you, where you don't play very well, and the only reason why you won was because of your defense and because you got lucky. A couple breaks went your way. Get the hell out, okay? Um, and the NFL has said they're going to open an investigation of the HDH, or they have opened an investigation of the HDH, but my guess is, why bother? You're just going to besmirch, uh, you know, this Super Bowl, the, the uh, uh, one of your all-time great, players and Peyton Manning uh he's retired so what different you know you know what would Hillary say what difference at this point does it make and exactly. and, the, and the NFL will say 
You know, that, that's that's going to be the NFL's reaction uh, to the Peyton Manning. We're just going to die as soon as he uh, declares his retirement. And, and, you know, congratulations to him because it's an amazing story. That's Although I, I, I wish he would have done something today, tonight, uh, to have actually deserved the victory because it wasn't his win. It really was not. Uh, he, had, he had very little, if anything, to do with it, except he didn't totally screw it up. Um, although he, he tried a couple times. All right. Anyway, uh, that that's the Super Bowl 24-10. The Broncos win. Uh, we have so much to get to. And and let's go back to the Iowa caucuses. Now, um, Leah, I don't know how much you remember. Uh, I, I know you listen pretty carefully to the things I say. But uh, in our last week's show, prior to the Iowa caucuses, as I was trying to predict what was going to happen here, uh, I went through the presumptions by the conventional wisdom. And you may recall that, you know, I I am somebody who, when everybody, it's kind of like when things don't add up. When everybody starts to say something is true, um, I mean, and everybody is saying it, I go, wait a minute, uh, maybe not. Um, And even I bought into the notion that if there was going to be massive record turnout on the GOP side of the Iowa caucuses, that that meant Donald Trump was going to win, right? Remember that? Every, yes. Everybody said, I mean, everybody said that. I mean, even the Cruz campaign was on record saying that if more than 135 or 140,000 people showed up for the GOP caucus, they were going to lose. Well, 180,000 showed up. And, of course, Donald Trump ran away with it, and now he's the nominee. <laughs> no, oh, actually, wait a minute. That's not what happened at all. No, Ted uh, Cruz stole it. <laughs> uh, well, we'll get to that, um, that absurdity. But let's, let's talk about what did and did not happen, all right, first of all. Um, you know, I, I told you who the top six were going to be. I was right about that. The one thing I got wrong was Cruz and, and, and Trump were juxtaposed. They were flipped. Um, I was only off on Trump's vote percentage by 2%. I thought he'd get 26. He ended up with 24. 24 was a key number, which I've been saying for months and months and months, that he had to get 23 or higher or else this whole thing was going to implode. And we'll get into more details to why. But I think Trump is in a very, very underrated and good position uh, right now, at least in the short run, uh, to try to become miraculously the GOP nominee. But let's, let's talk about what did happen. So there was this massive turnout. Everybody, including myself, I was wrong because I and I and whenever I go with the conventional wisdom, I always get nervous. And I and I even said it on the show last week that I was nervous going with the conventional wisdom because it's so often wrong. Because well, know, but it just makes sense. You would think if you know all these people are going to come out, they're coming out for Trump. Except <laughs> except there was one false premise, which we now know, although the news media is too dumb to have figured it out fully. Some people in the news media figured it out. But it's not the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is that Trump underperformed in the Iowa caucus. That's bullcrap. Donald Trump did amazing in the Iowa caucuses. He had no ground. He did a few rallies. Well, even if you don't even put that into the equation, what Trump did in Iowa is unprecedented. It is remarkable. It is scary. And it is dramatically underrated. Let me tell you why. If you had told I mean, my God, if you had said even three or four months ago, here's what's going to happen in Iowa. Donald Trump is going to get well over 40,000 people to show up to Iowa caucuses, most of whom, or not most, but a good portion of whom, have never voted in an Iowa caucus before. You would have bet 
anything, anything that that's not possible. And let me tell you why it's not possible. Up until what Ted Cruz did on Tuesday, that was the highest number in the history of the Iowa caucuses. Donald Trump got the second highest vote total in history. It's just that Ted Cruz got slightly more. Now, why did Ted Cruz get slightly more? You can argue that Ted Cruz had an amazing ground game, which he did. But even the Cruz people thought that if, as I've already said, the numbers got too high, they would lose. So why did they win? Well, here's the part that the media hasn't figured out yet. And the Trump fans need to understand this, because this is going to play a major role in all this. What we learned in Iowa was not that Trump can't turn out his vote, even though he's got a lousy ground game, as they say. What we learned in Iowa is there's not just an anti Donald Trump turnout factor in a potential general election, there's an anti-Donald Trump voter turnout phenomenon in a GOP primary race. Yeah. Because those people, here's what I think happened. I think a ton of people came out to stop Donald Trump. Because I think they looked at this and they and they thought Ted Cruz was right. Remember Cruz sent out the word to his people? He sent out an email saying if, if Trump wins this, he's the nominee, which could have been the case if it was a decisive victory. And I think that scared the living crap out of a lot of Iowans, which was a place that I said for months and months and months was very poorly suited for Donald Trump to begin with, both from the caucus perspective as well as from the standpoint of the demographics, the evangelicals being so dominant. That's why what he did there was so amazing. So what did they do? Well, if you're somebody who wanted to stop Trump, who were the two candidates you would be most likely to support to support based upon that that inclination, Leah. Who would it be? Well, it'd be Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. Exactly right. So if you were making that strategic maneuver, I'm going to vote for somebody to make sure that that Trump doesn't run away with this. Your first choice is probably going to be Ted Cruz. Your second choice, if for some reason he turns you off, and there's, as I've said, there's many reasons why that might be the case, your second choice would be Marco Rubio. Well, what happened? Rubio gets far more votes than anybody imagined. He broke the 40,000 mark as well, I, be, I believe, almost positive. Um, yes. and, and which, which means he got the third most votes, I believe, in the history of the Iowa caucuses. So uh, Rubio surprised everybody, and, and I think actually won the night, which I'll explain why in a minute. And Cruz did exceedingly well. But I think a good portion, I don't know what the exact number is, a good portion of those votes were anti-Trump votes. What say you, Leah Brandon? Maybe. I, I think your your premise makes all kinds of sense, and I can totally see it. I'm coming from a more organic point of view. People have had it, and they want someone who is going to make a difference, and they're energized, and they're coming out. I would like and to... they go, go and, and, and they certainly do not want Bush. <laughs> Well, that's that seems pretty clear, Mr. Three Percent in Iowa, um, where by the way George W. won in 2000. Let's not forget that. Um, so, um, you know, but I, I would like to believe that you're right, and, and and like most mysteries, there's probably multiple explanations, and maybe it's a combination of the two. Maybe there really mm-hmm. is a lot of energy on our side because people are so sick and damn tired of what they're seeing for the last eight years. Uh, but I also believe that when you look at the numbers, because you have to come up with an explanation for why the large turnout didn't turn out well for Trump. And that, to me, the only logical explanation is, it's very simple, 
people turned out to stop Trump. And that's going to be a big issue moving forward as we go along here. Now, when we come back, I'm going to tell you why Marco Rubio actually won the night and why Ted Cruz blew it. And then we'll move on to this through this very busy week on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We're doing an extended version of our weekly feature on the race to the White House 2016, because obviously this was a very, very busy week, starting with the Iowa caucuses. And Leah, I've talked a lot in the last couple of months about how Donald Trump has totally changed the dynamic of this race, not just from the political perspective, but he's changed the rules with regard to how the news media covers these events. And I think that what happened on Tuesday night, the night of the or Monday night, the, Monday, the night of the Iowa caucuses, we may have seen that alteration of the rules effectively cost Ted Cruz the momentum that normally would come from an Iowa victory. And here's what I mean by that. I have predicted that Trump, because of his media power and because of the fact that no network will ever pull out of a, a Trump speech unless, you know, something's really dramatic That's happening, and, be, and they'll go to him on a dime. They'll pull out of anything to go to him, that he has completely messed up the normal rules of what happens when, for instance, an Iowa caucus is finished. Normally what occurs is... That you might have somebody come out super early if they know they've lost, maybe even concede and pull out. That's happened before. But normally, the winner gets to go first, right? Yes. The winner, normally what would happen is Ted Cruz would come out, declare victory, give his speech. It ought to be like 10 to 15 minutes, Ted, not not 35. You know, you you give the basic premise for your candidacy. Leave them wanting more, Ted. Yes. Uh, You have the balloons drop. You wave with your wife and you know, one arm and your kids around you. I mean, it's a great picture. (laughs) That's the way it's supposed to work. Marco Rubio's people, who I've been very critical of because I've dealt with them a little bit, and some of the things they've told me make me go, Huh? Huh? Well, like, for instance, they don't believe in touting polls that show them beating Hillary Clinton in a general election. I'm like, okay, uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Um, but anyway. That's dumb. Yeah, it is dumb, but okay. It works for Donald Trump. Oh. It's all he talks about. Can, can you imagine if one of Donald Trump's advisors said, Donald, we're going to make a new rule. No more talking about polls. <laughs> You're fired. You're fired. Um <laughs> Because that's all I talk about is polls. That's it. All right. Uh, all the polls. You see the polls? The polls, the polls. <laughs> right. So anyway, back to, to the Rubio people who I've been critical of. They were masterful. They picked the exact moment to get Marco out there, take advantage of a surprise third place finish. He spoke for exactly the right amount of time. He talked about his candidacy uh, instead of thanking a million people as if he had won something that really anyone cares about more than a week from now. Because um, you know, Ted Cruz acted like he had won the nomination uh, when he finally gave his speech. But let me go. Yeah, uh, it was over the top. Um, and then, So 
let me, so, so Rubio gives this fantastic speech introducing himself to probably millions of people who have never really seen him give a speech. That's in, right. In, in, in a situation where he is perceived as not having won, but he's done far better than expected. That's a, that's a, not maybe not a home run. That's a triple. Okay. For, for Marco Rubio, that's a triple. That is the, the best he could have possibly imagined. Well, here's my theory on what happens next. So the cruise people are, because because frankly, what the cruise people should have done, <laughs> and this is what, if I had been in that room, of course, I would never be in the cruise room, but okay, if I was in that room, I would have been saying, Ted, as soon as Marco got out there, we get to get our ass out there now. Step yes, on, step exactly. on him. Exactly. Step on him because they will pull out of him to come to us because we won. Right. But they didn't do that. They let Marco speak and get his introduction to all these new people. And I think the reason they did that, I'm theorizing, but it makes sense. I think they were afraid of Trump then stepping on them. <laughs> I think they were afraid that if they stepped on Rubio and they came out, Trump could then Bigfoot them. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. And, and so I think they said, no, 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 no. We got to wait till Donald goes. And then after Donald goes, we have it all free for us. It's a, you know, no one's going to step on us because Donald's gone. Well, Trump did something interesting. Trump came out, and instead of being Donald, he turned into somebody else. Yeah. He spoke for like three minutes. He was actually fairly gracious, especially considering his insane comments later in the week that the whole thing was a fix. And yeah, he said he was honored to right. come in second and all this. Right. It was good, but it was a lot shorter than they expected because here's what I think happens. So they see Donald come out, and they, they're all making their plans for when the, the cruise people are going to come out. They're basing it on Trump going 15, 20 minutes. Well, he goes three. Now they're all discombobulated because they've already planned to come out at whatever time it was that they figured Trump was going to be done. And so they wait too long. And then not only do they wait too long, Cruz comes out and gives a terrible stinker speech. That it was, was awful. That was 35 minutes long. Everybody but Fox left him to go to Hillary, who hadn't even won anything at that point. So he got dropped for him, except Fox. Fox got in a very funny situation. Fox News Channel split screen Ted Cruz with the audio and put Hillary up there with no audio. And then they finally said, oh, heck it, we'll, we'll stick with Cruz until he's finally done with this stinker speech. Um, and then they showed Hillary on tape. But for all intents and purposes, by that point, a lot of people on the East Coast are already asleep because it's getting Oh, late. yeah. Central time, too. It's, it's late. So Cruz completely blew, completely blew his victory moment, which is, Poor the, planning. which is the most important thing you get out of winning the Iowa caucuses. It's not about right. delegates. It's about the perception of being a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I've got momentum. Join my movement. Get on my bandwagon now. And the only person that did that was Marco Rubio. You and bet. I was busy. I went next door for about 30 minutes. I came back. There's Marco Rubio. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he won. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet a lot of people thought the same thing I mean, because he acted like he had won. He did. I, I honestly, I was like, wow. Well, for all intents and purposes, he did win. I mean, it could not have gone better for him on Monday yeah. night because he finishes a strong third, way better than expectations. New Hampshire traditionally hates the Iowa winner. The Iowa winner 
it almost gets downgraded because they won Iowa. I mean, New Hampshire looks down on the, the winner of Iowa, but they like the guy who finishes a strong third out of nowhere or second in Iowa. And so that was good for him. The fact that Trump was perceived as not doing that well was good for Rubio. The fact that Cruz won but didn't run, you know, win going away was good for Rubio. It was all set up perfectly uh, for Rubio. Although I have to tell you, I actually think Trump had a better night than Cruz did, partially because of the fact that Cruz blew his great victory moment, but also because he reduced the expectations for him in New Hampshire. Because now, if he wins New Hampshire by what the polls say he's going to win, which would be about 15 points, that's going to be perceived as a blowout. Oh, sure. Two weeks ago, that would have been like, eh, no big deal. So Trump, and I'm going to explain this further, and now we're number two, and we'll also get to the bizarre Democratic Iowa caucuses. Trump is actually in a very underrated situation right now. This is the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.